in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, he tells a story in one of the books about a little girl named Lucy, who's one of the main characters in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in this particular scene, Lucy is on her own exploring this mysterious house looking for a book of spells. And when she finally finds this mysterious book of spells in this mysterious house, she begins leafing through the pages. And eventually she's, she's finding all these different descriptions of different spells that she can uh, find the, the, the spells for. And one of the spells that she finds is this one. How to remember things forgotten and how to forget things that you want to forget. How to remember things forgotten and how to forget things you wanted to forget. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? If there was a magic spell that you could, could, could chant that could help you to forget things that you want to forget and remember things that you've forgotten, what would you want to remember? You might want to remember where you put your keys or where you put that special thing for safekeeping and now all these years later you still can't find it. Uh, you might want to remember your grandma's cookie recipe. You might want to forget some hurtful thing that someone's done. Memory's a funny thing, isn't it? I can remember that embarrassing thing I did in third grade, but I can't remember what I had for lunch on Friday. I can remember every word to a song I haven't heard in 15 years, but I can walk into a room in my house and say, what did I come in here for? I can't remember. What did I? And then you try to retrace your steps and try to remember what you came in there for. Or as George Jessel said, the brain is an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. It starts working the moment you're born and doesn't stop working until you stand up to speak in public, which I can attest to. Uh, you, what is it that makes some things so memorable in the best possible way? What is it that makes some things so memorable and unforgettable in the worst possible way? When I was growing up, my aunt and uncle had a cottage on Lake Ontario near Alcott, and some of my fondest memories as a kid growing up are going to the lake, as we used to say, and gathering with my extended family and cousins and aunts and uncles and having summer days at the lake. And we would go on Labor Day and Memorial Day and Fourth of July and a bunch of different points in between, and I loved going to the lake. Their cottage was right on the lake, and so we would go out and just watch the waves roll in, and we'd walk up and down the beach. We'd find all sorts of treasures on the beach, and we'd go fishing out on the lake, and all sorts of adventures, have great big bonfires, and uh, just some of my most treasured memories are of being at the lake with my extended family. And I'd often find treasures on the beach there at the lake and want to bring these treasures home. And I'd bring home these rocks I found that were the coolest rock I'd ever seen. And by the time I got them home, I forgot about them. Or I'd find lures or I'd find other, other random things on the beach and want to bring them home. And one time in particular, I remember I found a clam, a whole clam. Used to find a lot of clam shells, but this time I found a whole clam. And I was really excited. A little kid ran up and showed my parents and said, isn't this cool? I want to take it home. They said, you can't take a clam home. And I said, no, I really, this is so cool. I've never found a whole clam. They said, you can't bring it home. Go throw it back in the lake. And they thought I did. But I didn't. I put it in the car. And I thought, I'm a pretty sneaky kid. I can, I can fool my parents on this one. And I thought I was, for sure I was going to be able to sneak this clam home. And all was going well until about halfway home. And the car got pretty ripe. And now I was at the stage in my life where my sneakers often smelled pretty similar to a dead clam. Uh, so I was able to blame it on my, I'd taken my shoes off, I said, and so I'll put my shoes back on. But the problem is putting my shoes back on didn't help the smell. The car was pretty ripe by the time we got home. And then when we got home, my parents realized what I had done, that this clam, I'd had this contraband clam in the car, and it had reeked the whole way home. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. Uh, that is, you can't fool your parents. Hi, mom and dad, by the way, I know you're watching at home. And uh, d please stop telling the children stories like this. And uh, it makes it hard when my own kids know these kind of embarrassing stories about me. 
But uh, I learned a valuable lesson that day, and that is that dead clams really stink and that mom and dad know right. And my life is full of sweet memories and memories that really stink. And a lot of us have really, really sweet memories, things that you would you love to replay and remember and stories that you love to tell and other stories that are not quite so pleasant. We have this door up here today, decorated maybe like your door might have been when you were a teenager, or maybe like a door might have been decorated with one of your teenagers, teenagers when they were home, as a way of kind of representing our memories that are both sweet and unpleasant. This, those memories that are really sweet and those that really stink. And to give you a way of visualizing what's behind that door in your life. And we want to ask that question this morning. What's behind this door in your life? What are those memories that are sweet and those memories that are kind of bitter? We're in the final week of our series called Golden, looking at the golden rule and how we obey the golden rule, which is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this morning, we're going to talk about what's behind this door for you, what the memories are that have been a burden and a blessing to you and how we deal with those. And we're going to look at this with a man named Lamech from the Old Testament, an obscure man from the, the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 4. And so let's just jump right into that passage this morning. Let me pray for us as we do. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. And we pray we would hear, hear you speaking to us as we, as we dive into your word and as we fellowship together. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 19, it says, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. And Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tabal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tabal Cain's sister was Nema. And then verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me. We don't know much about Lamech. There's actually two Lamechs in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. One is the father of Noah. This is a different one. And how about that line, guys? Wives of Lamech, hear my words. Try that. Try that at Valentine's Day this year. Wives of Stephen, hear my words. Uh, it's, it's really, that's it, a way to woo the ladies, for sure. But uh, Lamech is an obscure person. So let me just give you three things, uh, uh, kind of biographical things about Lamech as we jump in. And the first is that Lamech is a polygamist. He has multiple wives. There is no warrant for him to do this in Scripture. He's not the last person to be a polygamist in the Bible, but he is the first. And uh, this is not a sermon about polygamy, but if it was, it'd be really short. Don't do it. Uh, it's not recommended. This is one of these things that the Bible describes, but does not prescribe. It describes people entering into polygamous relationships, but it does not recommend it. It is not sanctioned. It is, it is not something that, it's not God's ideal plan for marriage. And it speaks to a heart condition for Lamech. Uh, when we look at what polygamy actually looks like in the modern day, and you look at, it, there's actually an index of the, the most stable and least stable nations in the world, and they can rank this by a variety of factors. And when, the thing that the least 20 stable nations in the world all have in common is widespread polygamy. Polygamy is rampant in the 20 least stable nations in the world. And when they look at how children fare under polygamy, children tend to be abused and neglected more in, in polygamous homes and Women tend to be treated as inferior and not given equal rights in polygamous homes. And men are four times more likely to die of a heart attack in polygamous marriages than... True fact. Uh, I told my wife, I'm talking about polygamy tomorrow. I, wanna, I feel like I need to make a joke somehow. She said, be careful. And so I'm going to let her admission, admonition be the punchline here. Bottom line is whenever you see polygamy show up 
in marriages and in the Bible, it's an indication of some kind of a heart problem. It's a sign of an unhealthy heart. And so first thing we see about Lamech is that he's a polygamist. Second thing is that Lamech comes from a complicated family. Uh, Lamech is, the, uh, is a descendant of Cain, the first murderer. This is quite a family. They have the first murderer and the first polygamist. A couple of years ago, uh, we inherited a beautiful cabinet that had belonged to my great-grandparents. A beautiful, I admired this cabinet for a long time. And uh, when we inherited it, we were just delighted and found a a prime place in our home for it. And when we moved this summer, we made special arrangements to make sure that this particular cabinet got here safe. Whatever happened to everything else we owned when we moved to the southern tier to the South Downs this summer, we wanted to make sure that cabinet got here safely, and it did. A couple years before as well, my wife inherited her great-grandmother's sewing machine, a beautiful sewing machine in in a lovely cabinet, and same thing with that. When we moved the, southern, the summer from the southern tier to the south towns, we made special arrangements for that sewing machine to make sure it got here safely and it's in a, a space where it's going to be safe in our home. And we treasure those. I never met my grandparents. Uh, Tammy never met her great-grandparents. And so to have things that belong to them is a treasure. We treasure these things and the connection to those who've gone before. And in the same way that we treasure that cabinet and that sewing machine, Lamech treasured the legacy that he inherited from Cain. Cain was a murderer. He killed his own brother, Abel, and God put a, a, drove out Cain, drove him out into the wilderness, and Cain protested when God drove him out in the wilderness and said, if anybody finds me out there, they're going to kill me. And he said, no, I'm going to put a mark on you, and anybody who does anything to you will receive seven times back on their head. And that's a, this badge of shame that generations carried, but Lamech has turned it onto a badge of honor. That mark is a, is a badge of honor, and he's got a chip on his shoulder now. And he's, he's embracing and nurturing and savoring this complicated history that he comes from. And the third thing we see about Lamech is that he's been hurt. We don't know what happened. We don't know who did it. But he's introduced to us by making this announcement to his two wives that he's been hurt and he's killed a man for hurting him. So again, Lamech is a polygamist. He has, and, and I hope that nobody here can relate to that. Uh, if, if you do... If you can, go to re-engage. Maybe we can get that straightened out there. Uh, Lamech has a complicated family history. Certainly, a lot of us can relate to that. Some of you have wonderful godly heritages. You have wonderful families and, and parents who raised you in the truth and loved you, and you've got a healthy family background. And others of us, it's a little more complicated. You feel like you have to blaze in a trail and, and break off from the way things were and and break off the cycle of addiction, break off the cycle of anger, and to, to break free of those things. And so maybe you can relate to, to Lamech and his complicated family history. And third, Lamech has been hurt. And without a doubt, we can all relate to that. To be human is to be hurt. And what becomes of Lamech is what will become of us if we don't handle our hurts well. Look at verse 23, 24, rather. He says, If great, 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 great Grandpa Cain is avenged seven times, than Lamech 77 times. And Lamech has this hurt, and it becomes a flash moment for him. It's a landmark moment for him that defines who he is. Uh, there are certain moments in our lives that get etched into our minds like, like they're carved into granite. We all know, those of us who are old enough to remember 9-11, we all know where we were when, when 9-11 happened on that fateful Tuesday morning. And the fact that I now have to say, if you're old enough to remember 9-11, should make all of us who are old enough to remember it feel really old, but we have to talk about it that way now. We all remember where we were. 
I'll, I'll never forget how it felt the first time I held my firstborn child. My wife tells me that she will never forget the smile on my face when I held my, my little girl for the first time. You know how they come all wrapped up. It was like the warmest, sweetest loaf of bread I'd ever held. And I'll never forget that joy. And a year and a half later, when we had identical twin boys, I'll never forget finding out that we were expecting identical twin boys. And that shock is still not worn off. And it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. And apparently we got hooked because then I remember having a fourth child and holding him and getting to introduce him to our other children and having our complete family together. Such a sweet time. I'll never forget those moments. I'll never forget where I was and who I was with. And Andy Dalton threw that touchdown pass that broke the Bills' playoff drought. I'll never, I can remember who I hugged first and all the high fives and the shouting that was going on. There are moments like that in our lives that are just etched in stone. They call that a flashbulb moment where there's such strong emotions in the moment that the, the strong emotions tie, tie that memory like, like, like ratcheted onto our memory. It's like it's tattooed to our brain. It's like it's etched in stone. Those deep memories, those deep emotions drive that groove deep into our heart. So that, that some of those memories are the hardest things to forget. We have deep and profound memories of getting puppies and of losing loved ones and of the mountaintops and the valleys of our lives. And it's because of those deep memories, the powerful emotion, they call that a flashball moment where you know where you were when it happened. You remember more details about that than, than other things in your life. We don't have flashball memories of lazy summer days as kids playing video games in the basement. We have flashball memories of, of meaningful family vacations or of tragic news and of the deepest hurts in our lives. Lamech seems to have had a flashball moment. Whatever the hurt was, it's etched into his heart. And he's nurturing this. When Cain killed his brother Abel, as I said, God put that mark on him and said, whatever anybody does to you will be done to them seven times over. And Lamech is taking this even further. He says, if seven times vengeance was good enough for Grandpa Cain, then for me, I want it to be 77 times vengeance. And that number 77 in this case represents both kind of the number, but also the utmost extent. It's a symbolic number to mean the utmost extent. The utmost revenge. And he sounds tough he just really doesn't want to get hurt again. He reminds me a little bit of Captain Hook in this moment. And uh, Captain Hook, of course, the villain in the Peter Pan stories. And in one retelling of J.M. Barry's classic Peter Pan, uh, Smee, his right arm, no pun intended, is deeply concerned about Captain Hook and coming to him and saying, I'm, you're, you're so angry. Your anger is so malignant. It's taking over your life. And Captain Hook says, well, thank you very much. I'm very pleased about that. You know, thanks for noticing. And Smee says, no, 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 you're so obsessed with revenge for Peter Pan. It's, he whips you up into an absolute frenzy. And he says, yes, I know, thanks. I'm in an absolute fizzing frenzy at this very moment. And it's funny when it's a, a cartoon character, but it's tragic when it's a real-life person. The natural response when we get hurt is to defend ourselves, to lash out, to protect ourselves, to put up walls, to make sure that whatever might happen, we will never be hurt again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And the natural response to getting hurt is the path of Lamech. Vengeance. Seven times vengeance. Seventy-seven times vengeance. A thousand times vengeance. We, we set up these walls to protect ourselves, to make sure that whatever has happened to us in the past will never happen again. And many of you have your own flashbulb moments. Those deeply painful things that have happened to you and because of the strong emotion that's tied to that memory, it is ingrained in your memory. It is etched like, like 
a carving in granite. It's like a tattoo on your heart, and you can't remember. You, that's why when you say, I'll forgive, but I can't forget, you mean it, because those deep emotions make it that hard to forget. That's why we have this door up here, to take some time to process what's, what's behind that door, the hurts and the joys and the pains. To be human is to be hurt. To be Christian is to respond to those hurts in a very specific way. And often the stuff that most needs to be forgiven in our lives is the stuff that is absolutely the hardest to forget. Jesus never mentioned Lamech by name, but there is one time when he seemed to refer to him. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, he's having a conversation with his disciples. In verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Kind of echoes of Cain there. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. It's like Peter comes in this moment, and, and the, the old law was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And, and so Peter comes to Jesus, hey, if somebody hurts me, I know, I, I know you're going to say I need to forgive them, but how many times? There's got to be a limit to this, right? Right? Like seven times? If I forgive them seven times, is that good thinking he's going to get a gold star? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, like the, like the retribution of Cain. Seventy-seven times. And there's clear echoes of Lamech here. And here, once again, the number isn't specifically a number. It's speaking about the utmost. Forgive them to the utmost. It's like Jesus is saying, in the same way that Lamech was obsessed with getting revenge, in the same way that Lamech was obsessed with protecting himself, himself in the same way that Lamech was insistent on getting revenge and getting even, you should be obsessed with forgiveness. In the same way that Lamech lashed out and became hardened, Oh, protect your heart and forgive, not once, not twice, not seven times, to the utmost. Forgive and forgive and forgive. Jesus went on and told them a story, as he was prone to do. He told them a parable about a person who had an indescribable debt, a massive debt. And when the, the day came due for him to pay that debt and he was going to be collected on for that, he, he begged and pleaded and he sobbed and he pleaded for mercy. And eventually those who were going to collect the debt said, you know what, they saw his heart, they saw his grief, they saw his pain, they said, you know what, forget it. It's yours. The, the debt is wiped clean. It's like having, having a massive mortgage on your house and having somebody wipe that mortgage out and now it's yours free and clear. But then he went home it's a kind of a ridiculous story in this way. He goes home after having this incredible debt forgiven and he finds his neighbor next door. And again, if this is comparable to having your mortgage paid off by someone else when you're way in over your head. He goes home and remembers that his neighbor borrowed his hammer. And he, he goes over to get his hammer back from his neighbor and his neighbor can't find the hammer. And he's absolutely irate. and He's belligerent with his neighbor and absolutely graceless. It's a ridiculous story. How could somebody have this incredible debt forgiven and then turn around and hold this tiny little debt against their neighbor? How could we possibly, how, I mean, of all the stories Jesus could tell, how could somebody have this massive debt wiped out and then come over here and, and hold it against their neighbor? It's just a tiny little thing. Because I do. All the time. He's telling my story. It's a ridiculous story. But guys, it's my story. And it's your story. Jesus says in verse 35, this is how 
my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is a cornerstone concept in all of Jesus' teaching. This isn't extra credit. This isn't bonus work. This is central to what Jesus is teaching. That unless we're willing to forgive our brothers and sisters, unless we're willing to forgive our enemies, his Father won't forgive us. It's right in the Lord's Prayer. In the moment, it seems like the hardest thing we could possibly be asked to do is to forgive somebody who's hurt us. That seems like an impossible task. Like, why would you ask me to forgive somebody who's hurt me? Don't you understand how much this hurts? Don't you understand the wound on my soul? How can you possibly ask me to forgive that person? But forgiving somebody isn't the hardest thing. Actually carrying around unforgiveness, that's, that's the hardest thing. Watch somebody who carries around unforgiveness for a lifetime and watch what it does to them. Forgiveness turns out to be the much easier way. So C.S. Lewis wrote about that spell, a way to remember things forgotten and how to forget things you wanted to forget. I wish there was a spell like that. I don't know of any way to magically turn off memories that I want to forget. But I do know that consistently, when I walk into a room in my house to get something, I consistently forget what I walked in there to do. And there's actually a name for that. They call that a boundary event. And researchers at Notre Dame have found that there is something that happens in our brains when we walk through a doorway that it's like it wipes the short-term memory clean in your brain. It's like if you, if you imagine your short-term memory as a chalkboard, somehow walking through a doorway or a threshold in your home causes that to be wiped clean so that you walk through the door and cannot remember what it does. They say that the way that your house is divided up into rooms, your brain kind of partitions itself off so that you think of doing one thing in one room, walk into another room, and your brain is kind of clicked the switch so that you can't remember what you walked in there to do. And while we can't say anything that will make you forget that hurtful thing somebody's done, maybe you need a boundary event today. Maybe today is a day when you need to think about those hurts behind that door and, and consider the opportunity to say, I can't tell my brain to shut it off. I, I can't do something that will make my brain stop replaying this memory. I can't somehow do something that will make this stop hurting, but I can choose to stop acting this out. I can choose to not take the path of Lamech. I can choose not to take the path of vengeance. I can choose to say, this, is, this day is going to be a boundary event for me, where I'm going to walk through this door and say, brain, you can do what you want to do, but I'm resolving today that enough is enough. I'm resolving today that I'm going to make this a boundary event in my life or I'm going to step through this door and as hard as it is, as much as I want to hold back, as much as I want to struggle in this moment, I'm resolving today that I'm going to step forward from the place of resentment and hurt and vengeance into the open freedom of forgiveness. And maybe today it's taking a moment in one of the doors here or in a door in your home and inviting the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart and to help you have the strength to step out of hurt and resentment into the open fields of praying as Jesus taught us to pray, forgive my sins as I forgive those who've sinned against me. What better day 
and today. I want to invite you to think about three questions. The first is, who has wronged you? When we asked that question earlier and, and talked about C.S. Lewis's spell from Narnia, what are those things that you would like to forget if you could? Who is a person who has hurt you deeply or a group of people who've hurt you deeply and there is a wound on your soul? Who are they? Don't linger there too long, but let's be realistic about it. The second question is, do you want to forgive them? And that might seem like a simple question, but it's kind of the whole thing. Because you have options. You can choose the path of Lamech. You can choose the path of vengeance and anger. You can choose to become a real-life Captain Hook and have your whole life revolve around getting revenge at somebody. You can choose murder. I don't recommend it, but you can, and people do every day. And it ruins lives and ruins families and ruins whole communities. But forgiveness isn't going to happen by accident. You have to choose it. It's an act of the will because of how hard these memories are, because they're hardwired into our brain, because they're written in permanent ink on our soul. It is not something you're going to do by accident. It has to be a decision of the will to say, I choose to forgive you. But you have to want that. So when you think about that deep hurt and that person who's hurt you, do you want to forgive them? Let me be absolutely clear that when we say that, there there might be something where you, you need to get out of a dangerous situation. By forgiveness, we don't mean you stay in a dangerous situation. By forgiveness, we don't mean that you drop criminal charges in a case where there might need to be criminal charges. They might need to face consequences, but you don't need to carry resentment. And there's a difference. So who's hurt you? Do you want to forgive them? And the third one is, what step can you take today? Is there something you need to do today? Maybe it's returning somebody's call who you've been blowing off for a while, or maybe it's sending a card to somebody. Maybe there's no chance for reconciliation. Maybe reconciliation is is too far, and there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Maybe the person doesn't acknowledge what they did. Or maybe they're gone and there's no person to be reconciled to or to, to forgive, to have that conversation with. Well, maybe today it's lingering on your way out any one of these doors or a door in your home and just pausing for a moment and taking that step to say, Lord, help me. I don't want to go the path of Lamech. I don't want to go the path of vengeance. I don't want to go down the path of bitterness. And I can feel myself slipping down that way. Lord, whatever my memories may do, however my mind may want to replay this event, I'm choosing today to walk through the door, to close this chapter behind me, and to step into the stream of freedom. When it comes to resentments, and stinky clams in a station wagon, the sooner you get rid of it, the better. Let me pray for us today. Lord, I pray for my friends here today and my heart hurts for all the hurts that are on so many hearts in this room. So many heartaches, so many wounds. Oh, great physician, do a work on our hearts today. 
thank you for showing us the path of life and the freedom that comes with forgiveness. And we pray that we would not make that mistake of having so much forgiven of us and yet holding minor things by comparison against others. For some of us here, it doesn't feel minor. And in some cases, it really is not minor. But yet we hold these things up to you. Oh God, give us strength to forgive our enemies, to forgive those who've trespassed against us as you forgive our trespasses. Help each of us to know the next step, how to live this out, how to make this tangible in our lives. And may you, by your spirit, soften that memory. Maybe erase it just a little bit today from our memories.